the same route he had used to make his previous two attempts on the peak. It was quite late in Everest climb time, and probably already dark when David, the last person out above the highest camp in the world, arrived at the tiny, jagged grotto. The dead man he sat next to, nicknamed Green Boots, was an Indian climber who had resided for a decade inside the concrete-colored and crypt-shaped hole in a wall of overhanging limestone, Green Boots Cave. Orange, black, and blue oxygen tanks were strewn among the fractured stones at the entrance to the small room, scrap metal along a highway to the top of the world. David's two bottles of oxygen were almost certainly exhausted. He had been climbing for some twenty hours straight. He'd had no partner joining him on the ascent or at any other time during his expedition. Instead, he had signed on to the permit of an international team, a random group of climbers from around the world, brought together only by their need to save money by sharing base camp facilities. David had no radio or satellite phone to communicate with the other independent climbers sharing his permit, or the more than 30 other teams in the lower camps. He was about as alone as a person can be on what has become a very crowded mountain. Still, it's hard to imagine that he didn't, at some time, when he was approaching the cave, believe that he was in the home stretch to the rest of his life. He was less than 1,000 vertical feet away from Camp 3, where his own tent or other climbers could have provided everything he needed to survive the night, except the will to do it. It wasn't until what high-altitude mountaineers call the morning, an hour or so after midnight on May 15, when some 40 climbers headed up on their own summit bids, that anyone could have noted that David's struggle had turned dire. Some reported that he was still connected to the fixed rope, so most of the two scores of climbers would have had to unclip from that lifeline to get past him. Others saw him sitting up, fiddling with his oxygen equipment, or simply sitting with his pack between his legs as if he were taking a rest while making the same trip to the summit that they were. Most reported later that in the darkness, with their hooded faces gasping for breath through oxygen masks and staring with goggled eyes into the bubble of light from their headlamps, their own senses dulled from the lack of oxygen and the extreme cold, they either mistook David for the dead body that they knew was already there or didn't notice him at all. But on their way back down from the peak eight hours later in the late morning sun, it was impossible to miss him. The climbers who stopped to check on him found that his hands were wooden with frostbite. He was wearing only light liner gloves after removing his heavy mittens, hat, and oxygen mask. People suffering from hypothermia often remove clothes in the delusion that they are hot rather than cold. His feet were frozen to the knee, preventing him from standing, much less walking down the mountain on his own. The skin of his nose was already black, and his cheeks, at first bleached to a deathly white by the cold, were turning purple. The frostbite on his face kept him from speaking clearly, but when he was conscious, he at least tried to talk. My name is David Sharp, he reportedly said to a Sherpa who was wearing a video camera on his helmet to film a Discovery Channel documentary. I'm with Asian Trekking, and I just want to sleep. Nobody else who saw him in the cave had any idea who he was. Some glanced at his clothes for identification, but noted nothing except that, aside from his boots, his gear was old and worn. Descending climbers who saw him early reported he was comatose, but others later found him conscious, shivering with his teeth clenched. Their own assaults on the summit had left many of the descending climbers in little better shape. 
several were badly frostbitten, and one was being rescued after falling unconscious. All were exhausted and running low on oxygen. A few tried to get David on his feet, but his legs buckled under his own weight. To everyone who saw him, it was clear that anything short of carrying him back to camp, a task that would have required perhaps a dozen fresh climbers, was only prolonging the inevitable. By the next morning, there would be two dead bodies in the cave. Within a week, the whole world would learn about the dying man whom so many climbers stepped within arm's reach of but didn't notice, and the forty-some pairs of boots that walked away from him twice while his life was slowly frozen out of him. Perhaps there was nothing that could have been done to save David Sharp. Nonetheless, to me and many of the other climbers following the news that trickled down the mountain and then spread around...